Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. Never gonna run around and desert you. Welcome to Men's Junk, talking about fringe male topics seldom talked about for the betterment of everyone. It has been a long three years and we're back. My name is Sebastian Ikeel and I am actually joined today by our new co-host, Matthew Beasley. Thank you. So I've seen that some people have already been watching and listening to our podcast. So I just would love if Matthew, if you can just give a quick introduction to who you are, uh, maybe how you heard about the podcast, and uh, maybe even what you're passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, and, and welcome, everyone. Welcome back after, uh, like Seb said, nearly three years. So um, I've known Seb for a few years as a friend. Um, he's trained me. We've uh, played a, a geeky game called Magic the Gathering we together. Don't, we don't talk about Magic the Gathering oh, here. Oh, shoot. Sorry. It's not sorry. a Magic the Gathering podcast <laughs> coming soon. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he invited me to co-host this podcast and I'm definitely very excited. So I work here in Vancouver as a therapist in private practice. Um, I previously worked at an outpatient addictions treatment program for gay and bi men uh, before moving into private practice. And uh, now most of my clients are male. Um, yes, uh, uh, gay and bi men, but over the past couple of years, uh, a lot of straight men as, as well. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be really interesting to hear your perspective because I think you have a really cool thin slice on so many perspectives of different men in society. Yeah, I've seen such a broad array of, uh, of different guys in, in my practice, different interests, different political affiliations, different concerns, uh, different mental health presentations. And um, I'm definitely passionate about giving back to the community. I received fantastic help along my own journey with mental health and addictions. I've been sober for uh, about 10 years now. And I'm really wanting to pay it forward. Nice. So everyone's wondering, what's the secret, the one secret to <laughs> mental health and wellness? Like, it's just, it's so simple, right? Just, just what's the one secret, Matthew? Like, what do we well, have to do? Well, I, I appreciate the sarcasm in your voice because if it was as easy as one secret, everybody would be doing it. There'd be no need for mental health professionals. There'd be no need for personal trainers. There'd be no need for life coaches. There'd be no need for any of that because we would all be doing the one thing. Uh, but the thing is that we each have pretty unique needs and unique areas that we need to focus on. There's some common themes for mm -hmm. sure. Totally. Uh, but to try to boil it down to one variable tends to get people into trouble. We would like to add a quick word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. H-E-L-P. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? A few years ago during COVID, I had a really hard time and I reached out to a therapist and it made a really positive change in my life. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and even send a message to your counselor. You get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more, more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read the testimonials that are posted daily. From here at www.betterhelp.com slash reviews and visit betterhelp.com slash men's junk and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced experienced professional. And as a bonus, Men's Junk listeners will receive 10% off their first month. Thank you, BetterHelp. And now back to the podcast. Today's topic is we're going to be talking about coming out of the COVID haze. 
So we wanted to discuss our own personal experiences with how COVID affected our lifestyles, uh, how it affected our work, our relationships, and then maybe provide some practical tools or something to look at for people to even have a place to get started if they are having a tough time. Because I think right now is a really awkward time for a lot of people. Yep. I, I don't know if you've seen that in your practice yep. in terms of just socially. like. Yep, absolutely. That reintegrating back into the quote unquote normal world after a couple years of various levels of lockdowns and restrictions has brought up a lot of social anxiety for folks, for sure. Yeah, it's been, I mean, I could personally say for me, like just doing this podcast would indicate, hopefully, <laughs> that I'm in a slightly better frame of mind because it was really easy to just kind of get caught up with rolling with, not even rolling with the punches, just taking punches as society just kind of laid out one thing. And I mean, now we're, you know, in the imminent imminent uh, possible uh, financial stuff going on as well, right? Like yep. we might even have some market issues. Yep. Not This is not a market podcast, but. Um, so Matthew, can you go into maybe how, what was your COVID experience like? What, what, how did you, I mean, just if you could divulge just what how things went for you on your end. Yeah, I, I really related to what you just said there about kind of coming out of this period of almost being like in survival mode, kind of, you know, doing what I needed to do to cope, but not really forward or, or future thinking all of mm -hmm. that that much. Um, you know, certainly the, uh, the start of the pandemic hit me at a very interesting point in my uh, career. Okay. I had been in private practice for less than a year. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, if anybody's kind of done anything like this, like the first year or so, you're in that build-up phase where okay. you're building up clientele. Oh. <laughs> so, so yeah. So having it <laughs> happen oh. right in the build-up phase, interesting. man. Okay, yeah. There was I, no... I have no... I just, just disclaimer, I have no idea about how what Matthew's experience was around COVID. I don't think we've actually discussed this. Not at great length. Any no. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So how did that go? Yeah. So basically my practice as it was got decimated for a while. Oof. My, uh, my husband, a uh, partner at the time, mm -hmm. um, he also lost his job. He works in banquet services. And so, you know, technically he's on the payroll, oh, but wow. uh, didn't have shifts for the longest time. I, I know people in events and they just got destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were both in these industries that got hit pretty hard. And some of my colleagues, um, because they had been in practice for a while, they had built up wait lists. And mm -hmm. so it just meant that they kind of got through their wait list. Whereas mm -hmm. for me in that developing stage, oh, no wait list to, to fall oh back Oh my on. goodness. <laughs> so, in t so that was your work situation. Relationship yeah. wise, everything else was pretty smooth. Um, I mean, it, it, it certainly sucked uh, socially, which yeah. I'm sure you can relate to, but in terms of relationship, um, yeah, if anything, uh, I've seen it with people that the relationship went one of two ways. It either made the relationship stronger or yes. it tore people apart. And fortunately for me, it, yeah. it made it stronger. I proposed to my partner during COVID. Oh, really? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. He, he actually contracted COVID. And shortly <laughs> after he recovered, I got down on my knee and I proposed to him. It's like, well, COVID's not going to kill you. So I guess I'm going to marry you. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Actually. This is real life? Like, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank here's, you. Here's thank the you. cherry on top. Th thank you. Thank you. So that was some, a silver lining that came out of COVID for sure. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed for sure as well for a lot, and this is something that I think was a really big difference between personality types is I found that people that were uh, introverted uh, versus extroverted had very different experiences Yeah. because it's, I, I'm pretty extroverted. And I know, like, for you, you're a little more than the... Oh, I'm, like, off the charts introverted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so, th so there was a certain social aspect, I think, that was maybe not as present, possibly? At least to start off with. To, to start off with, um, yeah, as you, as you said, okay. with an introvert, it's kind of like, ah, do I really miss those big social gatherings? Nah, not really. But when it comes down to it, all people, regardless of being extroverted or introverted, need some level of social connection. So as those weeks wore on, it got yeah. tougher and tougher. 
Oh, okay. I but see. I definitely hear that from a lot of extroverts that it was like pretty much instantaneously tough. <laughs> yes, it was pretty wild. So, wow, you got really your partner. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I, I, I've never. That's amazing. Yeah. Um. So you spend a lot of time with your partner during that time, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're in a, you know, relatively small apartment in downtown Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. You know, it's during the ultimate litmus test, I think. T- totally. Like you're just in each other's space. Um, you know, the clients that I did have during that time, you know, moving my practice online meant that I was, you know, like a lot of people working and living at home. Mm-hmm. And so that, that feeling of it getting quite claustrophobic at times. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's I, I've heard that from a lot of people who are in relationships. They needed almost needed a little bit of air to breathe because, as you can imagine, unless you're the perfect couple, which I don't even think actually exists, nope. uh, you're going to have disagreements. You're going to grow tired of each other at points. So it's, it's going to be tough. Me personally, COVID was I, I'm a personal trainer and life coach and my life coaching hadn't really got started. So personal training got pretty much decimated. I I started out actually getting on the news. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Um, oh. For all the wrong reasons. I was teaching someone boxing in a park. And the news was saying that people were not understanding social distancing. And they recorded me training a client in the park. Oh, wow. So I didn't think I'd actually come around to tell you this story this way. Yeah. But it's impactful because my girlfriend at the time, her parents watched us, watched me on TV, boxing with a client, not social distancing. And they had a huge issue with this. Uh-huh. And so this inevitably, you know, many steps later, uh, ended up uh, in a breakup. Okay. Yeah. And okay. it was just, so between not working and also trying to isolate myself, I found that I got really lonely. It was probably one of the most lonely times I've had in many years. It was super, super hard. And believe it or not, I didn't get engaged like you, but, and I think maybe it'll be for another podcast one day. I I ended up going on a, a mushroom trip and, it it just shifted everything hmm, because I was so. going through a period of a lot of self-doubt about what I was doing because it's really hard um, if you don't feel personally satisfied or if you don't feel good about what you're doing. Um, without external validation, it's really hard to exist. You kind of start to question about what you're doing. And um, yeah, so I, I went through this mushroom trip. <laughs> I know it sounds wild. Um, I could talk about it on an, another podcast episode. And then I, I literally, I remember having this summer where I had all this time and I just took pictures of flowers hmm. and I just go for long walks. Hmm. And because I think at the end of the day, uh, it's really easy for us to doubt ourselves or beat ourselves up. And it just took me out of that space. It was it was pretty, it was actually, a, I would describe it as a magical time. Yeah, it sounds like a form of awakening moment. And yeah. you kind of rediscovered what was important to you. And and the thing that I learned mostly was that, you know, a lot of this stuff is a lot of things that we think are important aren't actually that important. And um and I was able to self sustain myself again. So it was it was really, really good. Is it okay if I just sit on that point just for a, a sec there? Yeah, no, no, I think go that's for it. A, a very valuable point you you put out there that the things that we think are important aren't always the things that are actually important. And sometimes, unfortunately, it it does take some kind of, of tragedy like COVID happening to have these kinds of realizations mm-hmm. where we reflect on what the hell is it that I'm doing and what actually matters to me. Yeah. And so people, you know, some people in COVID focused more on their health or more on their family relationships totally. or more on their mental health. Um, but it's a double-edged sword because it can also rob you of some of those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, that's, that's a really tricky one. I mean, I know in recovery, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I haven't actually formally been through recovery, but I've heard this topic of 
rock bottom. Yep. And I know also, not in with without any like actual AA groups, I've had instances where I've hit rock bottoms, and those rock bottoms ended up becoming the growth experience, like the 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 initial like the thing that started like birthed some just really amazing years of my life. So, I mean, what do you, what's your take on that, actually? I know this is a bit of a, an aside, but it, it I just it think isn't. it's a relevant yeah, topic yeah. because I think that a lot of people suffered during COVID. Yeah. A lot of people had a really hard time. And I, I know that we talk about, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. We talk about all these negative influences of stress and trauma. But I also think that, you know, post-traumatic growth is something that people need to talk about a little bit more as well. Absolutely. Because post-traumatic growth is actually more common than you think. And uh, yeah, in terms of what you're describing there, I mean, you're describing the the hero's journey, which, you know, again, could be another <laughs> podcast wait, 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 episode wait. in and of okay, itself. I've heard, I've heard about this. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the, the notion of that, you know, basically any myth that you look at, any uh, impactful story that you look at, involves a hero or several heroes mm -hmm. going through uh, a really uh, tragic trial, but then reemerging from that trial even mm -hmm. more resilient, stronger than ever. Mm -hmm. um, and sure, that's not the way it always works out. You know, sometimes rock bottom for some folks can mean death. It can mean yeah. being stuck there for totally. ages. But there is the chance to use those opportunities as a launching pad. Mm -hmm. In terms of our audience, in terms of our listeners, you know, I know that we come at this from slightly different perspectives. Uh, I'm, I'm basically moving into a space where I would describe myself as a holistic wellness, you know, personal trainer and life coach. I, I don't really, I'm kind of allergic to this concept of I don't want to train someone just to help them lose the last five pounds, even though I will do it occasionally. I know, I know you had your wedding. I, we, yeah. we did thing. I know, I know, I know. But I'm just saying like, like the concept of a short-term solution to something, I'm a little bit allergic to. Yeah. So I think obviously we, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of, there's going to be some parallels for sure. Mm. But in terms of um, your perspective on things that people can do to help kind of work through the awkwardness or work through their traumas, uh, what, what would you suggest? Yeah, I mean, one is certainly around perspective. I mean, some of the therapies that I'm most passionate about are existential therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy. And both of those advocate for people moving in a value-driven direction. So kind okay. of like what you were saying, it's not about some short-term goal of, okay. you know, I just want to stop drinking for the sake of stopping drinking. It's like, yeah. well, well, why? What, exactly. Why is exactly. that important to you? Okay, cool. So finding a why or several whys is even better sometimes. Okay. Is part of it. That's the perspective part. And then, of course, there's the behavioral stuff too, that any forms of rituals or routines that give you any tiny hint of forward momentum mm -hmm. can become victories that you then build off of. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, for myself, uh, my diet did get kind of out of control during those first few months of, of COVID. Me too. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, so... I, I, yeah, it was... I, I remember doing a video where I did a shirtless workout because I just wanted to love myself hmm. however I was. And it was super uncomfortable, but I wanted everyone else to feel... A little more comfortable too, right? To have some self compassion that a lot of us were just coping in that period. I was, yeah, totally. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh gosh, sorry. I'm. So you're talking about how you you let your food habits go, right? And the right, thin right, right, slices, right. right? And so getting back into sort of measurable goals for that, and with that, it wasn't so much about like the the number on the scale, mm -hmm. but um, just monitoring how much sugar I was consuming. Okay. I know what sugar does to my mental health in the long run. Interesting. Um, so okay. incremental goals like that gave me a sense of form momentum. I also took up gardening. Uh, oh yeah. In, You're not in... the only one. I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I, it's like I a thing. It was, but, yeah, it was gardening, like a... baking, like people, I wanted to stay away from the baking for the dietary reasons. But, <laughs> what but... do you mean? It's, it's, it tastes wonderful, Matthew. Yeah, it, it, it all tastes wonderful. <laughs> but giving me something to do with my hands uh, that felt tangible and I could see like the plants grow and get better at it. Uh, ah. uh, that again, it, it kind of, 
the positive yeah. feedback Ex- exactly exactly okay so can you get into in terms of what you were saying like the two types of therapies yeah how would a listener apply something like that or or what would you suggest to someone who's maybe struggling right now like where would you i know this is a little bit ethereal like a little bit out there but i mean how would you would you just tell i'm not i'm not saying go go start gardening but right, i guess right. you're, I, I guess that's your thing but yeah. i guess you're saying just find something yeah, yeah, find something. And if you're wondering, well, what the hell could that something possibly be? There's a couple different avenues you can go down. Like okay. one is looking at your life pre-COVID. Okay. Are there things pre-COVID that, uh, you know, because of restrictions, because of lower motivation uh, mm-hmm. that you gave up and you want to get back to? Yeah. The other thing is, is kind of having the courage to try on things that maybe in the back of your mind, there was always this inkling of, you know, I want to pick up this new language mm-hmm. or I want to go totally outside of my comfort zone and, uh, you know, go camping in a different destination or go traveling yeah. somewhere. Okay. Um, like things that have been kind of like these itches that you haven't scratched before. Okay. Um, trying out those so things. So trying different things. Uh, is there anything else you would suggest? I know it's a wide, I, I'm taking a really wide scope here, right? Because yeah. I imagine my my thought process is that I don't expect every single thing that we say to stick with every single person. No, no. But if there's certain pearls that people pick up on, then yeah, like awesome. if there's one thing I say today and somebody takes that and applies it, or something you say and they apply it, then I feel like this podcast was like a worthwhile podcast. Right. Like that. That's that's like enough for me, honestly. Right. I think. Okay, I mean, men, we're we're a little messy, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so so like anytime we could maybe get an alternative perspective. I think it's helpful. But the thing is, I know also for myself that there's certain times where I just won't accept certain things. It just I just need the right message at the right time. Yep. And it just hits. And it just hits. Yeah. Yeah. And what you were saying there about like, you know, hey, sometimes as guys we can be a bit messy. There's a way to take that energy into something positive. So, you know, one of the stereotypical traits for guys is that we like to uh, you know, do things as mm-hmm. opposed to feel things. Okay. Um, and there's pros and cons to that. But if you want to lean into the pro of that okay. uh, through behavior, that is going to eventually have uh, impacts on your feeling states as well, on okay. your mental health. And so, you know, starting off with the what to do, um, while it can sound pretty, you know, simplistic, can mm-hmm. have these longer range impacts. Like that's not a bad way to, to necessarily go about it. I actually agree with you 100% because I know that sometimes the work of actually literally getting out of my bed I remember points where just getting out of my bed and like getting myself outside felt like I was like dragging a corpse (laughs) you know like I'm just like dragging my dead body outside and then I get outside and it's kind of like oh this isn't so bad and then I start walking and I go oh okay this is actually quite nice and then so uh, there's actually uh, one of my role models and 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 the, just a, a person I look up to a lot. His name's Rich Roll. He's a ultra marathoner. Hmm. I just finished an ultra marathon. I'm gonna just brag a little bit. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> but um, he 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 actually was in the recovery community as well. And there's a saying he said that mood follows action. Yes. Yes. And, and I think that that's really powerful, right? You yep. may not feel like it. Yep. But once you do the thing, you'll feel better. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very much congruent with cognitive behavioral therapy, which sees thoughts, feelings, and behaviors as all being interconnected. And they argue that by and large, usually behavior is the easiest one to get at. And okay. so then it's going to then have that impact on the other two on thoughts mm-hmm. and feelings. So if if someone still struggles from like if if they still can't do that i mean what would you suggest then because i mean that's i imagine that's an area where you see clients uh, yeah absolutely because again like you know if it was as easy as getting out of your bed and going for a walk mm-hmm. everyone would be doing it kind of thing and so i understand that some people are feeling so stuck that mm-hmm. even small victories feel in- insurmountable and you know to those people i would say and i mean this is you know i think at least for me, has been yeah. helpful advice regardless of where I'm at. 
is practicing some self-compassion. Um, and this comes from oh, Carl so Rogers. Hard. That is so hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I, but it's so important. Uh, yeah, just if, if it's okay. just to, No, to, no, no. Totally. Go, yeah, go. just to run with it for a little bit. So yeah, yeah. Totally Carl Rogers is uh, sort of one of the, 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 the godfathers of, of modern-day counseling. Uh, he developed what's called person-centered therapy. And he made the argument that paradoxically, uh, we are most open to change when we accept where we're at, that we have to practice self-acceptance first in order to be able to get into that space of changing, that when okay. we're fighting against ourselves, that's how we stay stuck. Uh, we feel ashamed. Uh, we feel unmotivated. We, we experience learned helplessness. We, we, we don't move. Um, so accepting that like, yeah, you know what? COVID fucking sucks. Yeah. And it's okay that you put on a few pounds. It's okay that you let, you know, certain hobbies or or other activities go. Totally. Um you can get back to them, but it's it's okay for where you are right now. So I can actually totally relate to that because I had a situation in my life where I had hit a low point and the thing that actually kickstarted the the change, like the transformation into just something else, like I just this is before I even was personal training. Uh, this is at a time when I was broke. I had, no, I had no money. And I remember, I don't know where I saw it. I think it was a TED Talk. And someone said to put a sticky note on your mirror that says, I accept myself unconditionally today. Mm. And every day I would read that. And it was almost like thawing a glacier mm. because, mm -hmm. because I had this really hard, um, just very, very difficult way of dealing with myself. Um, I would just beat myself up all the time and I'd also be in denial about what I was dealing with. And the more I worked into acceptance, the easier the work became because I wasn't fighting it all the time because yeah. it's almost like when you deny the problem, it's it almost makes the problem worse. Oh, absolutely. I totally relate to what you're saying, both in terms of coming out of the closet as gay mm -hmm. and also in my addiction struggles too. Uh, oh yeah. It was totally. only as, after I, I accepted those two things that I could make any kind of headway with them mm -hmm. and come to self acceptance. It's oh, it's so. Ch I've worked with clients, and this is I think this is the single most difficult piece. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That we're kind of can. Well, I was gonna say conditioned. It's partially conditioned. It's partially human nature mm -hmm. that we do have this negative voice inside of our heads that's trying to keep us safe mm -hmm. from harm, but sometimes goes about it in an incredibly unhelpful way. Yeah. Uh, by telling us that we can't do this, or we're just shit at that, or don't bother trying. Okay, so I'm gonna put a weird lead on this. So, yeah. oh my, I don't, I don't want people to label me a communist. Okay, but I, I do think <laughs> that the the kind of lifestyle that gets encouraged in our society overall has a negative impact on our own mental health because a lot of people have to go to these survivalist mechanisms yep. just to survive. Yep. I mean, there was a point in time where you could have a regular job and you could like make your money and everything's fine and money was taken care of. Yep. But when you add in all these extra, so, I mean, are you, are you agreeing? Like, I'm just... Well, it's I, a funny slant, right? But yeah, no, I, I agree, and it, it kind of reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That in order to get to that place of self-actualization and and self-love, that security needs need to be met first. Yeah, of financial course. security, physical security, emotional security, all of that needs to come before the the the, the true self-love. Okay, so now, do you mind if I like kind of put my own little slant on this? Yeah, yeah. So being a life coach and personal trainer, I was thinking about this analogy for a pretty long time. I think of our body, like our, our, just our whole organiz organism, I think that's the right word, mm -hmm. <laughs> as like a house, mm -hmm. okay? And actually Maslow's hierarchy of needs is, is, a good, is a good place to actually, oh, by the way, do you wanna, do you think people need an introduction to Maslow? Yeah, absolutely. Just, like, why not, right? Do you want to do a quick little, like, blurb on Maslow? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Maslow was a psychologist, mid-20th century, uh, who researched, you know, 
what leads to human flourishing, whereas psychology in the past focused more on the deficits, like the mm-hmm. way we get neurotic, the way we get anxious. Maslow was more interested in like, well, what are the necessary ingredients for us to do well? <laughs> you know, isn't that what, that what psychology should be about? He kind of founded the positive psychology movement. Uh, in that way. Okay, that's so interesting because I, I, I would not describe Maslow that way. I just knew him as, I just knew Maslow as the person who came up with the, the pyramid. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that, what's interesting about that is that he actually never described it as a pyramid. That was sort of a later kind of conceptualization <laughs> of his work. I, I think I've it, heard that too. <laughs> yeah, that though, that, you know, it, it, it largely fits what he's, what he's yeah, talking totally. about. That, um, that that as humans we have these more basic fundamental needs like food, mm-hmm. water, shelter. Uh, then we have a need for trust, for community, for uh, uh, emotional security. And then beyond that comes the potential for growth, uh, yeah. uh, for feeling like you're having a value-driven life. Okay, so that's an introduction to Maslow. I, I, think, I think we've kind of clarified that portion. Yeah. So one of the things I basically will look at when I'm dealing with like a life coaching client is, so if we think about the house analogy, is I look at, I'm just going to break it down to like basically five or six different things. So how are you moving? How are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are you connecting? How are you thinking? And how are you stressing? Mm. And if I was to give someone a palpable, usable piece of advice, Mm. It would be to find the thing that you're actually weakest at Mm. and to work on that Mm. because shore up the foundation. Exactly. Because the foundation changes based on what you struggle with the most. For example, if you're somebody who really struggles with sleep, I was a person who had sleep apnea at one point. That meant that if I slept nine hours, I would wake up. And I literally would be at stress all the time. See, I don't know if you know what sleep apnea is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I'm choking in my sleep, <laughs> and yep. I'm never, I'm never actually fully rested. So I never ever feel good. I just feel like I'm under attack all the time. I'm constantly tired. I'm constantly stressed. It affects every single room of the house. D- totally. Right. Good luck exercising. Good luck eating well. Good, good luck, luck connecting. Yeah. Like totally. you, you yeah. turn to a snap show. You know. Um, if you look at, for example, um, people who are extremely sedentary, yeah, maybe it doesn't affect you that much in a year or two years or three years. But I also argue it also affects every other level of things as well. Movement has been correlated with your sleep function. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're not exercising, you don't tend to sleep as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't, if you don't sleep as well, that if, so so you kind of the thing is like the tricky part about humans in general is that Paul Chuck, actually one of the people I do my training through is he describes the uh, human, like the a whole human is like a system of systems. Mm. So for me to tell you, like, like we were joking about earlier, there's no real one answer when it comes to exercise. I think that people go into, this is actually for a future podcast episode um, about cognitive distortions. I think people yeah. struggle the most with having an all or nothing conceptualization of what totally. exercise has to look like. Totally. They're totally. like, they're like, oh, I have to work out two hours or I'm not shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if I don't look like Tom Brady by next week, what's by the yesterday. point? By yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then that's like not good enough. And it's yeah. kind of like they want, they go in this all or nothing mentality. And I think it's really, really harmful you know, maybe just start off with a 20 minute, like one thing I start off with like a lot of people with working out is just doing 30 minutes, three days a week. And I don't even care what it is. Like it could be walking. Um, In fact, walking has been correlated with, I told you I wouldn't add science, but walking I think has been correlated with the longest lifespan um, because it's just really, really good for you. And mind you, I walked a lot during COVID. Right. And we evolved uh, you know, to be able to walk over long distances as hunter gatherers, for yeah. sure. Actually, even running, that's like one of our like cool traits, by the way. Super dorky moment, but like the fact <laughs> we can respirate through our skin is like a really cool adaptation. Like we can, we can actually out endurance most uh, mammals. Because we literally yeah, have no fur. Yeah, we cool <laughs> ourselves down. Yeah, it's anyway, <laughs> random <laughs> aside. Um, when it keeps when it comes to sleeping, um, see this is and these all these things are challenging, right? Like, you know, if you still can't get it after all this stuff, then 
you may want to consult with a professional, a doctor, you know, somebody. Um, your sleep schedule matters. Mm -hmm. um, try to s set a time that you turn off the lights. I find that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, caffeine is a big one. Right. Uh, if you have a you have a coffee at 8 p.m., good luck having a good night's sleep. Right. Uh, alcohol consumption yep. that's correlated with poor sleep generally. Yeah. And that one tends to trip up people because alcohol will help you pass out, mm -hmm. but that's very different from getting REM sleep. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it'll be a, a kind of a fitful, you know, not very well rested sleep. You won't exactly wake up and be like super stoked. It, it, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I personally nap a lot, but I limit my naps between like basically it's like twenty to thirty minutes, mm. and I don't nap after a certain time. Yeah, uh, yeah, because yeah, the thing with napping is is that if you nap longer than that, the twenty to thirty minutes, you start to fall into a deeper sleep, and then you actually wake up feeling. Yeah, less exactly. well rested because your body's like, where's the other yeah. seven hours? Or it, well, yeah, and you almost feel worse. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's like you you wake up, you don't know where you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, where oh, am I? Oh, it's, what it's, time of day it's is it? Six o'clock on a <laughs> on a Wednesday. Exercise actually helps with that too. And I also ha find um not just turning off your lights, but apparently there's been correlations done where if you expose yourself to bright light in the morning, it also helps you out as well. Yeah, because it starts regulating your sleep wake cycle. So not just turning off your lights at night, but also also really being bright in the morning has some helpful benefits as well. Then we go into eating <laughs> and eating, I think, is arguably like the most complex of all of them. Yeah, because there's no one size fits all. OK, so there's there's oh, this is something I've explored quite a lot. There's no one size fits all. And I also think there's an emotional portion to it. Uh, so there's a, an emotional thing. I think there's people who medicate or deal with their emotions with food, oftentimes accompanied by shame, which becomes really problematic. If I was to give you the simplistic version of how to eat, it'd be eat what, eat what makes you feel good, which arguably, if you wanna have an ice cream after you had a horrible day and that makes you feel good and you have no shame about it, then I say eat the darn ice cream. I know I'm a trainer saying this, but yeah. but I'm, I'm telling you, like like the the problem Take the is the shame out of it out of the equation. Yeah, just process your emotions, do what you got to do. Eighty five percent of your food, roughly. I mean, this is all just a, you know a guideline. Should be good food. You should feel good after it. If if you feel like you're gonna fall asleep after you eat something, pay attention to that. Like, it's not really most people know how to eat, but I think the hardest part is actually the emotional portion of it. Absolutely. And staying accountable to what makes you feel good in the long run, too. Mm -hmm. When things that make you feel good in the short run, as you said, there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you want the ice cream, you want the donut, have the damn donut. I tell yeah, that. Yeah, just have the donut. Yeah, I just... tell that to people in early sobriety all the time. It's like, donut or relapsing on your substance of choice? <laughs> Go for the donut. <laughs> That's amazing, actually. Yeah, but <laughs> That makes so much sense. Well, yeah, because from a harm reduction perspective, you can you can say that, sure, it's still, uh, it's still emotional coping, but it causes far less harm than some of the alternatives. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so that, that's kind of my pro that's my thought process, too. Yeah. Yeah. Having said that, you know, it does then cross the line where it becomes addictive in and of itself. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's so the hardest. Yeah, I mean, the, dif the difficult thing is, is a lot of I'm under the belief that some people are overtired and they're just not conscious when they're making a lot of choices. And then what happens is their bodies are actually constantly sick and they don't. This is this is me and my personal beliefs. They don't actually know what it's like to feel good. Mm. And so because their body's constantly sick or not as well as it should be, that becomes their new normal. Mm -hmm. And they're like, this is normal. This mm -hmm. is normal. Mm -hmm. And then one day they're 45 and their doctor's like, oh, you have diabetes or, oh, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's just, I think we see that mm -hmm. in our society mm -hmm. a lot. But I'm not going to spend too much time with that one. But, you know, generally speaking, I think most people know have a pretty good concept of how to eat. If you don't know where to start, um, I, I, I'm loath to just give someone like a diet or something, but 
I, I have had some success with intermittent fasting in terms of just like a simple, simple way. Um, there's also a slow carb diet, which is really simple. If you Google it, you'll find it. If you try, want to try something, you can. But I, I don't like these huge interventions where you're switching everything, counting calories. I just think it's too much. Right. If it comes to the next thing to stress over. The next one, when it comes to connecting, I think some people have, are, are misled on this one. I think some people think they're connecting, but they're not. Mm. So because... Uh, have you ever seen Brené Brown's TED Talk? Oh, yeah. I love okay, Brown's so, so yeah. in order for us to connect, we have to be seen. Yes, which means being really vulnerable. seen. <laughs> yeah. And so we have to have the courage to be seen, to allow others to see us. Exactly, exactly. So if I was to give someone any advice who's listening, it would be, do you actually let yourself really be seen because when i look at some of the people that work in like a really big corporate structure or or a very competitive environment like when i worked at, at as, as a doorman it was it was competitive you kind of had to watch your back even though it was a whole fraternity of people you had to kind of project a certain kind of personality yeah and, um, and underneath what you're saying i hear that the context matters, that in some environments it feels safer to be seen than others, yeah. that certain work environments, you're not going to be super emotionally vulnerable. Like that. But exactly, can you do that with your trusted friends? Can you do that with your uh, romantic partner? Can you do that with your therapist? Do you have somebody or multiple somebody that you can do that with? It, exactly, because I think that like, there's another podcast I listened to and his son made a joke. He said, is it real or is it deal? So if it's someone you make huh. deals with, is it like really like someone, you know what I mean? Like those aren't really like, those are relationships, but they're not necessarily, like I'm lucky. I'm super lucky. Like I'm a personal trainer and I am very lucky that I can go into my work and be myself. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I'm having a day where I'm like feeling kind of poopy, like you saw me last week after my run, yeah. um, <laughs> I could barely walk. Yeah, you um, didn't have to fake it. I didn't have to fake it. I don't have to come in there and pretend like I'm 110%. Uh, obviously, like we've known each other for years. So that does change the dynamic. If you're a brand new client, I'd probably fake it. <laughs> like I'm fine. Right. You need to um, develop that emotional safety with somebody. Exactly. So um, long and short of it, if you don't have a place to be really truly seen, try to cultivate that in some way, shape, or form. And it's hard because being real with people is difficult. I actually had a conversation the other day. I won't name any names because it, it was with somebody I know who's sure. a friend of mine. And oh, it was the most craziest conversation because I let myself be seen and it, it went in a way that I did not expect. I was talking about pornography and my mm -hmm. difficult relationship with pornography and this client, I won't name gender or nothing, they, they said, me too. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of vulnerability is that so often it encourages that, that it, it's, it's called reciprocal vulnerability, mm -hmm. that when you allow yourself to be seen, it then gives another person permission to do that mm -hmm. as well. And it deepens the connection. Whereas the shame-based narrative tells us, don't do that. They'll judge you if if you exactly. show them your weakness. Exactly. It's like, it's usually the exact opposite. And if they are judgy about you, it's like, well, that's important information too. It's like, well, okay, I guess I won't connect with this person on that level. That then. actually makes sense. Exactly. I think it's tough, right? Because I think if people get burned a couple of times, it's hard to go back and, yeah. and be seen. Yeah. yeah. Especially if they're formative relationships, like uh, the first person you dated or your first best friend or something Ooh. like that. That Yeah, I can imagine that's really hard. Yeah, because then you start to create this picture of like, well, people aren't trustworthy. So I just can't that's share with people. That's really interesting. So you've got to, that goes back to your point about all or nothing thinking. Then you've got to start to challenge the all or nothing thinking. Mm -hmm. Validating that like, yeah, that was an awful experience. I can tell how painful that was for you. Yeah. But do you think that you're closing yourself off from the beauty of future connections by having this idea. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's interesting because I have a family member who has always had challenging times in the relationships and it just kept replicating itself over and over and over. And that's, 
I think that we start playing a narrative in our head and it's just hard not to, to play that tape again. Yeah. Yeah. And to bring this kind of back to, to I love the way that this conversation has gone, <laughs> but to kind of bring it back to the coming out of the COVID haze, I think, especially for those first several months of COVID, um, well, I'll speak about my own experience yeah, totally. that I started to develop this narrative that started to lose hope a bit. Kind of like, oh, this is never going to end. Oh. Restrictions are going to last forever. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, you know, doom scrolling on social media. Me too. Looking Me too. at the oh, my death counts the every day. I, I, when I look outside my apartment, I, just, uh, so I got excited there for yeah, some Yeah, yeah, no, go um, for it. My apartment window looks at the hospital. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. So You've like, got that super visceral reminder. <laughs> you wake up and it's like you open the window and there's a hospital and you're like, yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> and like my my future vision got incredibly narrowed onto all things COVID. And it took time for me to broaden out that vision again that like, yes, COVID is still with us here yeah. in 2022. Totally. However, I'm losing a lot of opportunities by, you know, staying too safe in my yeah. bubble by not putting myself out there. I, I mean, it's 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 complicated. I mean, there are people that have compromised immune systems, yep. and yep. it leads to some really complicated, difficult questions yep. about how we are going to accommodate for people that struggle a little bit more. Yeah, and what trade-offs are acceptable. That's actually, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Then uh, we go to... What are we thinking about? How are we thinking about ourselves? What are the thoughts that we're having? This is actually related to what we were just talking about as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The best way for me to describe this would be there was a point in my life where I used to just beat myself up. And I used to talk to myself in ways that were super derogatory. And I think the best way to describe it is would you let somebody else talk to you the way that you talk to yourself? Mm -hmm. Because like like would you would you let your best friend talk to themselves that way? Would you let anyone get talked to themselves that way? Like the way I used to motivate myself to the gym was horrible. Right. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. There's oh, but there was also um, little fun little tidbits like uh, would and should are words that we should like try to actively avoid. Mm. I thought that was a good one. Mm. And but mm. am I like losing my mind? No, no. That uh, what would and should do are create these all-or-nothing rules. Okay, okay, um, cool. So, like, yeah. I like how you're putting this through your perspective. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, yeah. keep going, keep going. This yeah, is that, that then become overly rigid and we become self-abusive when we don't live up to those would or shoulds. That, of course, as, as we were talking about earlier this episode, that it's important to have these goals and these values to strive for. But if we're attaching too much rigidity to those goals, mm -hmm. uh, we become self-abusive and then we end up falling even further short of yeah. those goals. So. Now, one thing we talked about when we met up initially to talk about this podcast was you're talking about the difference between ruminating and processing. Yeah. Or am I, are those the right two terms? Yep. Yep. That's totally right. Okay. Correct. So yeah. I think that you should introduce this concept because I think it's important because when I heard this, you brought clarity to a topic that I never really, I never had the terms for this before. Yeah. Because it's hard to know what a productive thought is. Totally, right? Because isn't introspection helpful? Isn't, exactly. you know, like thoughtfully weighing out the pros and cons helpful? Like the answer is it depends. How are you going about it? Because I, I, I like I could just say to you like, oh, I'm doing self work. I'm still doing self work. I'm still doing self work. And meanwhile, you're just beating yourself up. Or you're not doing anything. True. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're just staying stuck. Yeah. Like you're just stuck yep. in that space of I'm doing self. You know. So yeah. Can you explain the difference though, or at least just for like somebody who's listening? Yeah. Um, of like, I guess in my opinion, I guess what I would figure is the difference between a productive thought. And one that's probably not doing us a service. Yeah. So rumination is that experience of certain thoughts kind of going on a loop. Like uh, the vinyl disc is skipping on the same song <laughs> over and over and over again. I'm going to give you up. Yes, exactly. Never gonna that's let you down. <laughs> that's Never going in your head. Away or desert <laughs> on repeat forever. <laughs> I am a piece of shit. I'm totally so worthless. <laughs> I should be a better person. Right, right. Something like Why that. Why can't you be better than you are? <laughs> you are such a 
piece of trash. Then again, like I, I, I wish that my <laughs> negative self-talk was at least musical. At least I would be a bit entertaining. But anyway, getting back to, <laughs> so rumination is that thing going on loop that doesn't seem to get anywhere. It's not moving you into any form of concrete action. It's okay. not encouraging you to connect with others, to mm-hmm. Seb's point of the importance of connecting with others. Whereas processing is something like uh, writing out a pros and cons list or mm-hmm. uh, journaling how you're feeling or talking to your therapist or a loved one about yep. what you're going through, both for the purpose of being seen, that that vulnerability piece, mm-hmm. um, but then also to then inspire you know some kind of change. And, th- and okay. that change could be as simple as greater self-acceptance. Like okay. that, that could be the change. Or the yeah. change could be, you know, more of a behavioral change. Like, okay. I, you know, I want to go out and, and try going back to the gym, something, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so t- to kind of differentiate between those two things, like kind of ask yourself, you know, have I been rehearsing this loop over and over again for weeks, months, years on end, and nothing has changed? Yeah. Or is this thought something that's helped me move to, to a different place? So... Interestingly enough, when I was talking about my story during COVID, mm. I got stuck in a loop. Mm. So my loop was it, it was a it was a loop that I actually had from childhood, which was I'm alone in my room. 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 and it just I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. And it just like kept looping and looping and looping and looping, and I didn't go anywhere with it. <laughs> right. So that's why I knew that I had to do something drastic like a gram and a half of mushrooms <laughs> and walk into <laughs> to Stanley change, Park. To change the script. Yeah. And I actually, like I said, it's probably better for another podcast episode, but it like, it literally pulled me out of that story, yeah. which is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, and I very much relate to getting stuck in that script from childhood too. For, for me, it was about, you know, being unlovable uh, you know, people not liking me. That was my mm-hmm. script that, that went on repeat. Really? I always uh, found you so likable. <laughs> <laughs> you see the mask. Oh, no, yeah, just kidding. yeah, yeah, just yeah. Kidding. <laughs> you're, you're hiding. Well, no, Welcome. now it's because now I do believe that I am fundamentally likable. And not yeah. that everybody's going to like me, but that there's nothing kind of wrong with my core. That Whereas beforehand, I totally believe that there was something wrong with me at my core I, that made me unlovable. I think that's more common than we think. Yeah. Which is kind of heartbreaking, actually, if you think about it. It is. But there's so many people out there, you know, unnecessarily loathing themselves. And I, and I get it. Like both Seb and I have been there before. Yeah. It's, it's like, gosh, it's just so much time and energy kind of hating ourselves. That's why I like sit and like have a moment with that. Yeah. It's hard. I, um, yeah. So if you're one of those people, this is your moment. There's no like simple answer, and I think that's the hardest part about it. Though I, I liked what you said earlier. Um, you mentioned the affirmation that you put on your mirror, and uh, that's getting into the more kind of like cognitive part of cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Like rewriting those scripts that we have in our head and accepting that it's not going to happen overnight. It's not like I say one affirmation. It's like, oh, all good now. Those negative thoughts took years to embed themselves yeah the positive thoughts are going to take some time as well and they're never going to 100 percent go away it's having compassion for them when they do pop up yeah but overall on balance um you can spend more time in the self-acceptance self-love that's a good way of putting it yeah i, I think it's really hard to completely eradicate it totally i unless like you're a narcissist to- then maybe you're <laughs> <laughs> then I mean, maybe you don't have this pretty hot out. topic. I mean, nar- yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're all a little bit narcissistic, aren't we? Like, am I losing my mind? Like, I think we have to be a little bit. We all have at least a bit of ego. I would probably put it that way. Like, okay. I, I kind of reserve narcissism okay. for, you know, a pretty extreme presentation. I would say that we all have, have some level of, of, of ego and self-centeredness. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Sure. Okay, interesting. Okay, because I've heard different takes on that. Lastly, I also wanted to go over stress. Once again, like you have your house. If you're overstressed, like Maslow's, actually going back to Maslow, if you can't take care of your bills, you can't put a roof over your head, that's going to be the number one thing. And if that's the number one thing, then, you know, obviously that's the number one thing. Like you got to take care of that. But what I wanted to talk about 
uh, on another level is the concept of positive stress. Because for the last year before we got this podcast back up and running, I actually lacked the, uh, okay, well, I can't say that. I just ran an ultra marathon, but, but I, I <laughs> classic. And I just moment. got married as well. I, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, we, yeah. we did shit. So we, we, we did shit. Right. But, but what I'm trying to say is I felt like there were points during COVID where I wasn't introducing enough challenge into my life. Yeah. And I think that for some people, may not, maybe not everyone, because some people might might just want things to be chill. I think introducing some kind of a challenge. Amazingly, I know I, I don't. No one's watching me talk right now, Matthew. But I am fleeing my arms all over the place. Yes, to emphasize I'm the point. Extroverted as fuck. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> total aside. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is, for some people, finding an event finding a climactic, challenging thing to do can be one of the most enriching things that you could do in your life. You know, just like going back to the why, because you said one of the things, uh, finding a value-driven life. Hmm. I find sometimes, I mean, I've, you know, I've worked in nightclubs for 10 years. I, I, I like to consider myself a student of people. And I find where people have the hardest time sometimes is when they go to work, they go to sleep, and they go back to work, and they go to sleep, and they go back to work, and, and they just think that they, they don't have an alternative thing to propel themselves to be even better for. Well, because that routine is very safe. And I think what you're saying is that you know during the period of restrictions uh, with COVID, we got put into a new kind of routine. And mm-hmm. that started, I mean, I think a lot of us didn't like it, but it did feel safe in a way. It was sure. (laughs) Yeah. Like it was like a, it was messy, right? It it was a messy kind of stuckness. Yeah. It was very stuck. Yeah. yeah, And then getting unstuck can be tough because it kind of becomes the new normal in a way that this is my routine. Yeah. 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 I agree. I totally agree. Like this, like even like I said, this podcast, I felt like I, I, it's, it's almost like it took me an extra year to do it than it should have, in a way, to get back started again. It's funny because once you get it started, just like that dragging that corpse outside, it feels like mm. the same thing. You're kind of like, why did it take me so long? But here we are, right? And I think that for a lot of people, um, going back to the compassion piece as well, um, I can't beat myself up about that either, no. right? No. But I can, I can also say that I can encourage people to, like you were saying, so it's funny, yeah, we do have, the, have these parallels, you know, do like if you have that itch, scratch it, you know? Yeah. Um, I had, you know, a client recently say, Oh, I really want to go dancing. And like, go dancing. Like th- it's just so funny when people like talk about something they're really passionate about, their face like lights up. Totally. If you can like find that thing and do it, I I, I think it's life changing. it sounds so silly, right? It's so simplistic, but I think it's it literally can change your life because now when you have something to have a weekend for or look forward to, it changes the way you view your work. You're not just viewing it as a means to putting food on the table. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It becomes the spark. It becomes the the exactly. light that kind of makes this, yeah, this makes this whole thing worth it. Like yeah. if my life is just, you know, eat, sleep, go to work and rinse and repeat, like I, I love my work. Like we're, like you said earlier, I, I feel very grateful for the line of work I do. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I also feel passionate about spending time with my family and friends, mm-hmm. about uh, some of the games that I play, about running, about uh, exercising, about traveling. Like there's it's all these things that make life feel uh, enriching. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess if, if you're sitting there at home, I mean, if you could think of something that you just wish you were doing right now, I think you just sign up for that thing you know and it, it it's so funny because it doesn't take much for some of us i mean i like three years ago four years ago i was in a blends and i i thought you know what i'm, I'm I, I was watching um once again that ultra marathoner and i i, I watched yeah. him and uh ritual and he has this like really good um youtube thing and i he's sitting there at the end of this minivan and he looks destroyed and i said I think I want to do that. Hmm. And then I did it. Hmm. And I think that if we 
this is like a thing also as well is I think we lose our intuition as well. Like, like there is something intuitively that my whole body and being knew that doing that would be like really cool for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you really listen to what, what your body and mind are telling you, like if you actually, this sounds so ethereal. Like, do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's when you have that voice of self doubt that says, you know, don't bother trying that. That's silly. It's not worth it. Yes. 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 That's a voice that's, it, again, it's trying to keep you safe, but it's going about it in a very unhelpful way. And instead, listen to that intuitive voice that's going, like, no, just the experience just of this. Do it. Even if I finish in last place. Yeah. Who cares? Just the experience of doing it is going to be enriching. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, try to challenge yourself in some way, shape, or form. Wow. That, I, this is, yeah. it's tough, you know, it's tough. Like I said, the hardest thing, like when I, when I work, you know, we're almost done the podcast here, but actually I wanted to go over one last thing because I think you would have some experience with this. How do you know when you need to reach out for help? Because this could vary so much. Mm-hmm. One of the things, like if I could, this sounds horrible, but if I could like take a person, I don't want to say fix them, but if I, wanna, if I could like take a person, like a man who's struggling and make their life a little better today, and I, I can't fix them myself, obviously, mm. but if, if I can co- um, inspire them to be a little bit better, then that's awesome. But what about those people who maybe are having a little bit of a harder time. How do you know when you should reach out for help? Is there, a, is there a guideline for that? I'd say it's a general rule of thumb. When the things that you normally do to cope, to get by, just feel like they're no longer working. I mean, that's how I had my aha moment when it came to my addiction struggles because okay. my substance use for the longest time felt like medicine. It helped cure my depression. It helped cure my social anxiety. I could be flirty. I could be funny. I could be outgoing on the substances. But then I had this kind of aha moment where it's like, and believe me, it took me years to get here. (laughs) Uh, I had this aha moment of like, oh, my medicines actually turned into my poison. That the the very things that I was using to try to get by were actually Mm -hmm. now harming me. And so I had gotten past my ability to self-regulate, to... Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, to feel in control of my own life. And so if you're feeling like, oh, wow, I've exhausted most of my options for how I normally take care of myself and I'm still feeling stuck, then that's a pretty good sign of, you know, hmm, you might need an outside perspective or an outside perspective might be helpful. Yeah, so either like looking into counseling or or even reaching out with a friend or I find walks are really good. Like, I, you know... Absolutely. Absolutely. There's different ways to go about it. Some people uh, are uh, no more religiously or or spiritually aligned. And for them, it could be reaching out to a religious or spiritual community. Uh, Ah, For for other people, it could be uh, kind of, you know, being a bit more vulnerable uh, in their group of friends where Mm -hmm. they have like a a hobby or or a game that they play together or a sports team. Uh, Whereas for other people, it will be uh, counseling where you know it's going to be confidential, you know the person is going to have some training, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So so, uh, I know we went over a lot of stuff, but what's the one thing, Matthew? Like what what is the one thing, you know? like. Do I just like eat like a magical fruit and then like? <laughs> I think that's what led to my addiction struggles back in the day. Is that wait, wait. is that is that quest for that silver oh bullet? Oh my god, that's so yeah. funny. But it's so. I guess you know, as a kind of a conclusion, at least from my perspective, um, try to find the thing where you can improve, and try working on that. If you have a messy house, mm-hmm. it's gonna look super daunting. Mm-hmm. You know. Find a room, find a foundation, find the fix the roof, do something, work your way up. Just, and I know this is the hardest part, is just believe that things will be better. Because mm. it could feel really, really dark. Mm-hmm. But if you start walking just step by step by step, things will get better. Mm-hmm. Especially if you reach out to other people. Uh, what about you? Would you, have any, would you have any concluding, like if you could like leave one thought for a listener, like what would it be? I think it would be returning to Carl Rogers' paradox of it's the moment when we accept ourselves that we're then able to to move forward and, and change. That if you find yourself in a really dark place right now because of COVID, because of anything else going on in your life, 
it's okay. You're not alone in those struggles. Um, just try to see them with a the clear eyes and uh, then kind of move forward one, one small step at a time. Cool. Well, thank you all for checking us out today. If you got through to the end of the episode, we appreciate you. Uh, we are going to be working on eventually having it's all kind of in the woodworks right now, either a, a probably a free discord or, or a Patreon discord group where people could just support each other. I've seen some groups actually have some success with that kind of thing. Stay tuned for lots of different episodes. We actually have another episode coming up. I wanted to do a quick little introduction because when I heard this, it kind of blew my mind um, because we do this all the time. Um, so maybe you could introduce this concept of cognitive distortions. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I find this so helpful in my therapeutic work to kind of be able to put names to some of the thinking pitfalls that we have. And when I say we, I mean pretty much every human on the planet does these to some extent. Like, granted, mm -hmm. people who experience depression and anxiety it's even you know, more pronounced, but we all do this. We all overgeneralize. We all engage in black and white thinking. We all catastrophize. I just overgeneralize by saying we all, <laughs> but no, in this case, we really do all. Uh, and so being able to name the cognitive distortions and uh, then gently challenge them uh, when we become aware of them is, is incredibly helpful. And yeah, I'm really important. excited to explore that with you because I I was, as I was saying once with you earlier, I, I just think that it's something that's really relatable to a lot of our listeners. Uh, so with that, I wanted to thank you for listening again. Uh, we're happy to be back and you'll hear from us soon. This is Sebastian signing off and thank you. My pleasure. And Matthew signing off. Take care, everyone. Look forward to talking to you next time. Aye, aye, and goodbye. Farewell and bon voyage.